Welcome to Pulsing Black, where we explore the subcultures that exist in Black America and the intersections of our diverse experiences. My name is Christine Mwangi, and I am your host. Joining me today are Amina Mohammed and Teresa Bruce. Welcome, ladies. Thank Hi. You. Thank Hi, y'all. Hey, welcome. I'm so excited to hear from you all today. We will begin with a few introductions, ladies. If you could introduce yourselves, tell our listeners a little bit about your ethnic identity or how you identify ethnically, where you grew up, and where you're currently living. Amina, let's start with you. Well, I'm first of, I first of all want to say I'm very excited to, to be on this podcast and also in community with you and Teresa. Um, I ethnically identify as Somali and Kenyan. So my dad is from Somalia, my mom is from Kenya, but I grew up in Abu Dhabi before coming here to the U.S. So on top of having the Somali and Kenyan ethnic identity, I also call myself a third culture kid because I grew up outside of the countries in which my parents are from. Wonderful. Wow. So rich in your journey. Teresa, how about you? So hi, everyone. Similar to Amina, I'm so excited to be on this podcast today. I identify as Black or African American, if you want to be PC, right? I was born and raised in Baltimore City. You got to put the city in, not the county. It's very, very part of uh-oh, a geographic uh-oh. identity. <laughs> <laughs> got to respect the city right, line. You do, right? Like, put the city on there. If you're from the area, um, you'll understand why anybody who's listening uh, maybe from the DMV area, you, you would understand why. But I'm currently uh, back in Baltimore City after spending time in a few different states over um, a few years. Wonderful. Thank you, sis. Thank you so much. So I understand both of you are teachers. I want to dive a little bit deeper into your inspiration to go into teaching, what schools you teach at, and perhaps what subjects, subject or subject areas you teach. Because I love talking about education, as I'm sure Amanda yes. does as well, right? Like, this is what we get fired up about. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And so what's interesting is that I tell people, nobody really inspired me to be a teacher. <laughs> I do have a educational background in that my grandmother was a teacher in, in city schools, Baltimore City Public Schools for decades. Definitely a role model in my life. However, I did not aspire to be a teacher past kindergarten, right? Like, kindergarten, those wow. are the only te- careers you know, right? Teacher, nurse, doctor. You might have heard of a lawyer. And so, but I I didn't think that was for me. In fact, y'all, I thought I was going to be the next uh, female Johnny Cochran. So I was like, (laughs) forget the glove don't fit. Like I was going to have my own catchphrase. I was going to be rolling with the big dogs in the limo. I was going to be an entertainment attorney. Like that was my goal. And about halfway through, halfway through high school, I started noticing the disparities between my education that I was receiving from Baltimore City Public Schools and that others were receiving. And then when I got to college and I would visit my neighborhood, so I went to UMBC, University of Maryland, Baltimore County. If anybody's out there, go Retrievers. Um, (laughs) But when I was at UMBC, uh, which was close to my home, about like 20, 30 minutes away, I'd go home and I'd be around my friends in the neighborhood and they would just say things like, oh, you're so lucky, right? Or I'm glad you made it out. And and that really spoke to me. And I started wondering, why was my educational experience different? Mm. Why is it, what what was the the linchpin or the springboard that allowed me to have a different educational experience? And so then all of a sudden, my my lens shifted that I wanted to be in social work. Because at that time, Mm. I was a poli-sci major. And I said, you know what? Nope. I'm going to add on an additional major, which was social work. Mm -hmm. And I did some case management. And then I was like, no, no, this isn't it. 
So when I left undergrad, I went right to grad school at the University of Chicago. Anybody hey. out there? Hey. <laughs> right, right. Windy City. Chicago, right? And while I was there, I decided to pick up a policy degree, an MPP, a ah. master's in public policy, with a focus in K-12 urban education reform. So two okay. years goes by. I'm coming out right after that recession in 08, right? So like we had that terrible recession in 08. Um, I come out of undergrad in 09. We still haven't fully recovered by 2011. Okay. And I'm like, okay, so now what? I want to write policies, right? Like I want to change an entire system. I want to wow. make sure everybody gets the educational experience that I got. Yes. And I said, you know what though? I can't do that unless I know with the people who directly impact children every day, what they experience. And so wow. I said, well, I guess I'm going to go be a teacher. Wow. And so that was pretty long time ago. Um, not that long ago. <laughs> I mean, not, not like it's too long. So currently I'm still in Baltimore City Public Schools. This is my 10th year there. And I teach social yes. studies. Yes, social studies. Do you teach them about the Africa, girl? Because I didn't learn about <laughs> Africa when I was in, in grade school, social study, world history, none of that. See, they trip. So first of all, our sixth grade unit, I don't teach sixth grade, but in Baltimore City Public Schools, our sixth grade curriculum is all on like um, ancient civilizations. And okay. then our seventh grade curriculum is on like human geography, which oh. you cannot talk about human geography and cultures and geography in general without talking about Africa. So yes. yes. And then personally, when I look at a lot of my units around civil disobedience, organizing and mobility, we take a look of not not only U.S. issues of resistance or organizing or civil disobedience, but we also look at continents, right? Not countries, because wow. some people think Africa's a country. is not for anybody <laughs> listening. We talk about continents. Like <laughs> yes. Thank you, girl. Thank you for what you do. Thank you so much. And Amina, yes. talk to us. You know, as you were speaking, I felt like you were speaking directly to me because Similar to you, teaching was the last career on my mind. I come from a family <laughs> of teachers. My dad was a teacher when he was growing up in Somalia, well, not growing up, but when he was an adult in Somalia. My mom was a teacher and a school principal. And I just saw how draining teaching looked. Like it is a very, very draining job. And so I, I swore that I would never, never be a teacher. But you know what they say, God has a way of humbling you and God yes. has a sense of humor. <laughs> I went into college knowing I was going to go to law school. I was very, wow. very determined to be a lawyer. Um, I'm a Leo, so I'm very opinionated. I'm also very outspoken. And so I was like, this is it. But I also had a passion for children's rights specifically. Mm. Um, and, you know, we, we believe all children have rights. But like, I, I truly, truly believe children are individuals and human beings who have very, very specific emotional needs and also rights, um, which yes. I think is speak it. Mm-hmm. Yes, and yes. Are ignored and really, really like harmed. And so I went in saying, I'm gonna be a lawyer, I'm gonna go work for the UN and like all of this. My first semester, I majored in political science. I took a poli-sci class, which was super boring. And my advisor said, <laughs> if, <laughs> yes. if you are pursuing international relations or political science, and you want to apply to law school, just know that you're not guaranteed a job. And being a child of immigrants, you know, I really wanted financial stability. And I sure as hell needed a job after graduation because my parents were not sending me to school for me to be looking for a job and not getting a job after graduation. Right. I was like, okay, well, I guess law school isn't it. 
And as discouraging as that may be, I'm really happy that I had that conversation with my advisor because then it made me really think about what it is that I wanted to do. I feel very passionately and very, very strongly about children's rights. And in becoming a lawyer, yes, I would have an impact in the lives of children. Yes, I would be working with children, but not directly and not in the same capacity. And so mm. that's what made me switch gears um, and go into teaching. And so after my first semester, I switched majors and went into teaching. Um, but I also say my inspiration comes from being an immigrant and like the challenges and the struggles that come with being an immigrant. And I wanted to go back into the classroom um, and specifically work with immigrants and refugee children. Wow. Um, it's a very, very unique experience. And just seeing the light in a kid's eyes when they're able to see a teacher that looks and sounds like them. Wow, yes. A, just a very unexplainable feeling. Because I mean, for me, I think about my career I only had one black professor in both my undergrad and grad school experience. Ooh, wow. I remember that one black professor. I, I remember that class very, very well. And she wow. is by far my favorite teacher today. Yes. So that, that is how I ended up becoming a teacher. Wow. I, I appreciate that because as young as middle school, I remember the two black teachers in my school and lucky for me, they were black male teachers. Mr. Mm -hmm. Bay taught art and Mr. Kirkpatrick taught algebra. I remember everything about them. I remember how they dressed. Mr. Bay was very Afrocentric. I used to feel like he takes me back to Africa every time I went into his art class. He was very proud of his blackness. And in a predominantly white school, like I felt the blackest black in those classes. <laughs> and I felt untouchable. I felt <laughs> like, what are you going to tell me? The teacher is black like me. Oh, so I, like, <laughs> I really felt confident. Yes, I really felt confident. And I think they were the two teachers that never messed up my name because it was so important for mm. them to pronounce my name correctly. Little, I mean, I will never know what it meant for them to have an African child in their classroom, but they made a great mm. effort to make sure they never mispronounced my name. And I, I that mm. stuck with me, right? Mm. And so I appreciate that. And so moving along, I wonder how your ethnic identities have shown up in your classrooms. Like, how do you believe your ethnic identities have contributed to the culture that you build in your classroom? And also how have those identities even impact the academic outcomes of your students? Teresa, would you like to go first? Um, sure. So I often, that, that's a very intricate question, right? And it requires right. a lot of uh, introspection and self-reflection. Um, I like, so I um, am, you know, clearly a black educator in a predominantly black school. You know, we mm. do not have really any like immigrants to be quite honest. We have a few, but not many. We don't really have any other races in our building. Again, there's a, you know, a few students here and there, but again, 99% of my school and probably like 99.9% yeah. of my school if you look at the Maryland State Report Card data, um, are black and brown students, right? And so for me, thinking about my identity as a black educator, um, I really harp on this idea of my students being critical consumers of information mm. um, and that they receive a multicultural and diverse lens of history. Because again, I teach social studies. And right. in this country, when we talk about history, um, we tend to kind of whitewash it mm. and we exclude um, certain voices and perspectives. And so I make it a point that my students question everything, even if it's coming from me, mm -hmm. I get your right. source, 
right? Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, it, don't just take it. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we look at text and any form of media to figure out like whose voice you know is amplified and whose voices are excluded or silent wow. and the way that this plays out in student outcomes is that it promotes a culture in the classroom of discussion of advocacy of mm. activism or action right because sometimes wow. young people they may get caught up on that word activism so i just like to say action um, wow. and for me i think this extends beyond the classroom that it pushes my students to be you know, agents of change, not only in our school community, but beyond. And I have, you know, students now that are in high school and beyond who have really taken hold of that and gotten involved in student organizations and pushed for like policy changes um, at their high schools um, and spoken mm-hmm. up sometimes when they may not have been encouraged before to speak up. They feel a little more confident because they have those analytical tools that we yes. worked on in the class. They have a different lens when someone is giving them some information to look at it through and to analyze it. Um, and so wow. being a black educator, that's that's really important to me working with my young people because I think it's something, as you mentioned, Christine, you said, man, do you teach about Africa, right? right? Because that's something you didn't hear about even in like world history. Correct. Right? For me as a black educator, that's very important that young people know um, that there are diverse views. There's not just one way to look at things and that there's a whole right. world out there that's bigger than the U.S., bigger than our city, and bigger bigger than our neighborhoods and communities. Wow. So just following up for our listeners who may not really know what the term whitewash means, how would you define that for them in the context of how history at times in this country is broached on a um, K-12 to level, let's say? I would say it's a monolithic uh, perspective meaning that it is one so we, there's a frame right like history belongs to the victors mm. right and so whoever has the power in that situation whoever won whoever had the most control gets to control the narrative and so wow. in this country that means in my you know in my opinion in this country that means that when we look at history it's usually told from one perspective from a dominant group mm. Um, and so when we whitewash things, again, that's that perspective. And I use the term whitewash because in our country, the majority um, is, are still uh, non-people uh, of color or white gotcha. people. Gotcha. Wow. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Amina, how does your identity shape the culture of your classroom and impact the outcome of your students? Mm-hmm. I think I like being right now in the space with the two of you, it just affirms to me the belief that I have that we as black people are just celebratory people. You know, you get a black person from Kenya, from Jamaica, from um, Alabama. We just love, love to celebrate. And for me, first and foremost in my classroom is bringing that joy, right? Celebrating students in the small things and the big things. Um, Within the classroom, I truly believe that kids really, and I teach elementary school, so my kids are much tinier than yours, Teresa. Um, <laughs> and kids at that age, it's it's so important for them to be able to feel seen and heard. Um, and so in the curriculum, I make sure that the books that we read are books that really mirror who they are, their experiences, um, their linguistic abilities, their religious background, whatever intersecting identities that they have, in the curriculum, it's very, very important for them to be able to um, be seen and also be heard. Um, And just like you, Teresa, it's very important to cultivate those skills because I always say my kids are radical thinkers when they leave my classroom because when they leave my class, I want them to be able to use those skills moving beyond. In fact, 
a couple of days ago, a teacher who's teaching my current students says she refers to my kids as the little Black Panthers because they ask too many oh, questions. Oh, wow. That's an honor, though. And they question That's too many That's a badge things. of honor as a teacher. Yes, you're doing your job and you're doing it well. It sure yes, is. yes. So to conclude our time together, which has just flown by, and I've just been just soaking all of this up, in which ways do you invite teachers with different Black identities to partner with you? And how can they reach you moving forward? Should they want to partner with you, collaborate with you, learn with you or from you? Um, what invitation would you like to make today to build more relationships within our Black community with other educators? Um, Teresa. So academically, I'd like to collaborate around uh, units that are created specifically in social studies because mm. um, there's not like a national curriculum. There aren't really social studies curriculums, not many of them at least. So I'd love to collaborate with teachers around that. Um, Cross-curricular as well. So going outside of my content, how can we um, take or build units that overlap each other and reinforce uh, similar ideas? Uh, culturally, I want to connect with teachers around tough topics and conversation so they can share their experiences um, and we can learn from each other and create a stronger sense of connectedness. Um, I'd love to invite them to be guest speakers to my kids so that my yes. young people can be exposed uh, to different things. And if anybody's looking to reach out to me, um, I'm still on the archaic, apparently, Facebook. Uh, <laughs> my name is Teresa Bruce, spelled T-H-E-R-E-S-A. Don't forget the H, y'all. Um, you can also <laughs> catch me on Twitter. I'm like, I love the Edu Twitter community. My yeah. handle um, is at Miss Bruce Edu7. That's M S B R U C E Edu7. Okay. Um, and you can also email me if you want. Although, you know, school about to start y'all, so you know, I might take a minute to respond. Um, but you can email <laughs> me at bruce.teresa1 at gmail.com. That's awesome. How about you, Amina? Before I answer, on your uh, Twitter, Teresa, is it Miss Bruce Edu7? So is there two E's between Bruce yeah. and Edu? Okay. There okay. Are. Thanks for that clarification for anyone who's listening. Yeah. Yes. Um, similar to Teresa, I think curriculum development is definitely an area that we as Black teachers really need to be working on. And for me, as an mm -hmm. elementary school teacher, I want to collaborate on decolonizing the curriculum at a very, very early age. Um, I have a strong passion um, when it comes to children's books and picture books. And so I, I'd love to collaborate with teachers in terms of what books we use in the classroom and what literacy skills we choose to teach um, with books. Dr. Seuss, bye-bye. We don't need that anymore. Get rid of him. He's racist, even though he's still being used <laughs> in the classroom right now. And so that's what I mean wow. when I say um, decolonizing the curriculum is just because this is how it's always been done, it doesn't mean this is how we need to do it right now. I agree. Um, I am on Facebook, but that, I don't really log on to Facebook that much. So you can catch me on Instagram and Twitter. On Instagram, my at is, uh, please don't laugh, it's a, 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 <laughs> not a, a high school um, at, it's an appropriate high school at, it's just an, an inside joke between me and a friend from high school. It is A-M-O-O-N and then banana. And then on Twitter, it's A underscore moon underscore banana. And I specifically don't want everyone to find me. So that's why I don't. Use <laughs>
<laughs> well, ladies, thank you so much. You have added a great wealth of knowledge, experience, personal journeys, and your own achievements to a conversation that is so dear to our community. Education is truly the launch pad to life's, you know, opportunities, especially in this country. And I thank you for the contributions that you're making in our community and the gift of teaching because we all have one teacher at least that we can recall that either changed the trajectory of our lives, was a safe place for us at school, or just a friend, a good friend who you learned from. So I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for being my guests today. And that's it, folks. It's been my pleasure hosting you today. And we look forward to you tuning in to the second episode of Pulsing Black. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you.